Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, our text will be verses 1 to 4. Some more rich teaching from our Lord. These are just amazing passages altogether when you're looking at chapters 13, 14, 15, 16. And then we get into Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus is speaking many things. Many things to His disciples, preparing them. Encouraging them, strengthening them. And there are things that He has been speaking of here within this, this last discourse before He is going to be arrested that he is more emphatic on than he was beforehand when he would bring these particular things up. Specifically speaking, a persecution. Our last Lord's Day, we talked a lot about that. He has been discussing it uh, at length with his disciples thus far. These are things that he had brought up beforehand, and if we remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus had said these particular things. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus spoke of persecution in the Sermon on the Mount. He spoke of it when he sent out the disciples in Luke chapter 10. He's he's been speaking of it periodically throughout his three and a half years with his disciples. But things are a little different now. Most of the experience of the disciples as far as persecution and opposition was concerned was primarily aimed at Jesus. Jesus was the focus of the religious leaders' persecution, of their slander, of trying to consistently discredit him. It was Jesus who was the object of of their anger and their hate. But things are going to change. It's not going to be just Jesus any longer that the hate is going to be aimed at, but it's going to be towards the disciples because Jesus is getting ready to depart. And so in light of what is getting ready to occur, what is getting ready to happen, the great trial that is coming upon them in just a few short hours as Jesus is saying these words, it is time for Jesus to speak of these things more emphatically to them, to prepare them. He didn't need to tell them much before as far as these things were concerned because He was there. But now that the circumstances were changing, a time was coming in which they would need to know about the persecution that was coming. He discloses to them at this particular time the very things that they need when they're going to need it most so that they will not stumble. Many things that he speaks of in these chapters that only expresses the great love that he has for them. You know, just to remind us of why Jesus is saying most of these things. Back in John chapter 13, verse 1, we read, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, or he loved them to the fullest measure. He loved them to the last moment of his his life. He loved them with that kind of love, and they're going to need that kind of love because receiving that full measure of love from Jesus is going to help them to receive 
that full measure of hate from the world. In our text this morning, Jesus warns again of the coming persecution, the times of difficulty coming. And as we work through this passage, we're going to see a few things of, of how our Lord doesn't withhold from them the hard truths. He doesn't just say things that are, that are nice and, and that are lovely and that, that just only brings warmth to the heart. He shares with them the hard things as well. He reveals to them at the proper time the things that they need to know. He tells them why he is doing this, why he's revealing these things, and to whom they need to be on guard from. These truths are absolutely applicable to us in our day, for we receive the same kind of opposition. And it is very interesting who the great enemy of the church primarily is. As we look into this text, we will, we will soon find that out as well. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We will look at John chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. And let us hear the words of the living God. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we give you thanks for this portion of your word. We thank you that we have such a great encouragement from our Lord to help us through the trying times in this passage. We pray that the Spirit of God would open our hearts to receive your message, that he would apply his word that he inspired to our hearts to motivate us to be even more faithful, to bring strength, to bring boldness to us as we face an opposing world. Father, comfort your people this day with your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. You know, persecution is one of those things that is taught all through the Scripture. It is something that we are reminded of constantly. You will be persecuted. You will be persecuted in various forms. The Apostle Paul says, All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. It's just a matter of when this will happen and to what degree it will happen. And as we've talked about before, when we talk about persecution here in America, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not that that bad, if you will. It can be, sure. But we don't receive the things that our brothers and sisters in Christ do around the world. Again, they give their very lives simply for bearing the name Christian. We haven't received that yet. Times are difficult for us, and that's not to, to minimize it, but at the same time, we don't face persecution to the degree of many other Christians in the world. But it is something that we should expect. Something that is that is taught all through the Scripture and taught much from our Lord. And He's not withholding from His disciples that particular reality of what they're going to face. These men are going, going to be going out preaching the gospel. They're, they're going to be going to declare the good news to, to the nations, to the people of God, or the covenant people of God. 
And they're going to receive a lot of backlash. They're going to receive a lot of slander. And Jesus tells them so. If you follow me, these are the things to expect. Sometimes we have some, some misguided ideas of what it is to be a Christian. What it is to be a child of God. And some of that, some of that misinformation sometimes comes from whatever denomination that we're part of or whatever particular movement that we're part of, specifically when you get into the health, wealth, prosperity, gospel teachings, that they take the things of the world, they attach Jesus' name on it, and somehow make it honorable, and then they'll tell you that these are the things that Jesus wants you to have. He wants you to have health. He wants you to have a full life here, a happy life, according to the world standards. He wants you to have material things, all of this sort of language. And so those are the things that people expect. And when it doesn't happen, then great discouragement comes to them because they haven't heard the hard things. They haven't heard the truth of what it is to follow Christ. Jesus does not withhold that information from those that he loves deeply. He tells them about the hate of the world that's coming. That's, that's the very things that we went over last Lord's Day. That the world is going to hate them. The world system is going to hate them because it's in opposition to Christ Himself. They're going to hate you because they hated Him. And as we get into chapter 16, in light of all of those things, He says, these things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. This is a Greek word, skandalizo, where we get the word scandal. He, he warns them of the things that is getting ready to happen so that they're not scandalized. They don't stumble. They don't fall into sin as a result of being caught off guard. He tells them of the difficulties that lay ahead. He tells them of these things so that they're not taken by surprise, that they will not be caught off guard. Now, uh, I don't know with what people that you have associated with throughout your life. I would imagine that many of us have, have met people that have said, well, I started to go to church and I started to try to do this and do that, but then the Lord took this person from me in my life. This person died or I lost this particular thing. And as a result of that, then, then I just give it all up. It doesn't work for me. I had one guy that I worked with years ago and one of the things that he had said to me is, I don't follow your God. You know, he took my brother from me. When we were little, my brother died. I needed my brother. And sometimes these things are said just to give an excuse as to why they're not coming to Christ or whatever. But a lot of times, too, it's, it's being misguided by wrongful expectations of what it is to be a Christian. That somehow to be a child of God means that you're not going to have any problems. Everything is going to be great in your life. And that's simply not the reality of the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul again says, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Philippi that you have been chosen not only to believe in Him, but to suffer for His namesake. He tells the church at Thessalonica about their suffering, that this is, uh, this is a, a token of the righteous indignation of God that you be counted worthy. There, there is wrongful ideas of what it is to be a Christian. But Jesus tells us the hard things. Jesus tells us the things that we need to know so that we're not caught off guard. And it's in the same way if you've had a friend in your life 
that had come up to you, and usually we use this kind of language, hey, I want to give you a heads up on this. I want to give you a heads up about this particular person. Or I want to give you a heads up about this particular circumstance that may happen, that you need to be watchful. And so when we enter into that particular circumstance, or we're entering into seeing that particular person that they're warning us of, we're already on guard so that if something does happen, then we're not taken by surprise. That helps to strengthen us. That helps to prepare us. And especially to strengthen us in the sense of when you have your friend that is there and they say, no matter what happens, I'm right there with you. I got your back. You have people in your life that say, I'm here to support you. That gives you strength. That gives you a boldness as you enter into whatever circumstance it is. And Jesus is doing those very things. He is preparing them. These are the things to expect. That you have no misguided ideas. The world is going to hate you. And I'm telling you these things to keep you from stumbling. To keep you from falling into sin. One of the worst things that could happen is if we have a wrong idea of what it is to be a child of God or to be a follower of Christ, something terrible happens. And then we look and we say, well, I thought the Lord is supposed to be the ruler of the universe. And how is this happening in my life? It's because we don't understand the workings of God in our suffering and in our pain. We don't understand how the Lord works through those particular things to sanctify us, to conform us to the image of Christ so that there are good things that occur even in the time of our suffering and pain. We don't think of those. But the fact that Jesus is expressing these things to his disciples is a demonstration of his great love for them. Expect this. And the fact that they are receiving this information from him, that when it does happen, as we'll see, they'll say, this is exactly what our Lord said. He already predicted this. This isn't some strange thing that has come upon us, as Peter says. We're not going to look to the Lord and say, how dare you allow this to come in my life? I can't believe that you would allow this circumstance or this particular suffering or whatever. We look to the Lord and we say, you warned us of these particular things. You told us this was to be expected and now I'm relying on you even more to help me through. Because that's what they're going to do. They are going to be totally reliant upon the Lord to get them through whatever circumstances are coming their way. So we need to express the hard truths of the Christian faith when we are speaking to people. Sometimes we don't like to do that. We want to withhold certain things from them to somehow make the Christian, the Christian faith more acceptable to them. That they would receive it better if we just hold off on telling them the difficult parts. But sometimes we end up setting people up for failure when we do that. We need to be trusting in the Lord that He is able to bring people to faith regardless of them knowing the hard things. He's able to do that. We don't have to tell Him just the nice, lovely things. Those things are important. And the main things that we express, of course, is that Jesus died for sinners and you can have peace with God through faith in Him. That you can live a joyful life in spite of your circumstances, but you need to expect those as well. That you can have the peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds. You can have that. But those things are given in the midst of the difficult times.
So expressing our love to others is by expressing the difficult truths as well. We love people enough as our Lord loved his disciples enough to tell them the truth, to tell them what's happening. And that's what he does, to keep them from being scandalized, from falling away, to be, be offended by him because they didn't expect something. And so part of that is, that's ex expressing his love, protecting them from falling. And then he warns them of where most of this opposition and persecution is going to come from. He says in verse 2, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue. The persecution is coming not from an atheistic world. The persecution is coming from those that claim to know God. From the covenant people of God. And he tells them they're going to they're going to be outcasts from the synagogue. We remember that when we were going through the earlier parts of the Gospel of John, how the man who was born blind, Jesus healed him, and he goes before the religious leaders, and they, they cast him out. They kick him out of the synagogue. His parents were fearful of being kicked out as well, so they put everything back on their son. Others that we read of in John chapter 12 were fearful of, of confessing Jesus in public because they were, they were afraid of being expelled from the synagogue. Now, when we're talking about that, that isn't just meaning that they're kicked out of the church. This is being ostracized. Not just from the religious life of Israel, but the social life of Israel as well. You're being ostracized by everyone. Not only from the time of, of being able to gather with others to worship and to hear the scripture read, to do sacrifices and all of that, but now you're being ostracized socially, that you're being shunned. If you had a business, it would be very likely that you would lose customers over being kicked out of the synagogue. It was, it, was just, it was terrible for people to have this to happen to them, but Jesus tells them this is going to happen, and we see that happening in the book of Acts. When Paul goes into a synagogue, what's he doing? He's preaching the gospel, and they're, they're running him out. This is to be expected, and these are the ones that claim to know God. Again, this isn't from an atheistic world. This is from those that claim to know Him. That's where one of the greatest threats is to the people of God are from those that claim to know Him, that claim to represent Him. From an atheistic world, we already know what to expect. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in His Word. They're, they're going to naturally do what's coming to them, which is to sin. That's the natural inclination of man. We know what to expect there. But for people of a religious faith, sometimes we don't. We know that there's going to be disagreements and all of that, but to what extent that they will begin to persecute you, sometimes that, that varies. I'm not even necessarily talking about those of, of different faiths. I'm not talking about Islam. I'm not talking about Buddhism or Hinduism or any of these other other faiths, I'm talking about those that come under the umbrella of the Christian faith. You have to understand that there are some great enemies that take the name Christian. Just as there were in this day, these are supposed to be the covenant people of God who have the law, who have the statutes, who have the covenants 
who received it all. These are going to be the very ones to persecute the true people of God. Not only to kick them out of the synagogue, but he says an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. One of the great examples of that is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was persecuting Christians. He was zealous. He was zealous for God according to the ideas of God in his day. He rejected the Christian faith and he was persecuting it. He held the coats while they stoned Stephen. He had papers to go arrest Christians and all of this until the Lord converted him. He thought he was doing the work of the Lord. He thought he was doing right. And yet he was actually working for the enemy. The deeds that he was doing was in line with the enemy, not with the Lord. Which is why the Lord, when he appears to him, what does he say? Why are you persecuting me? Any, any attempt by anyone under the Christian umbrella in order to reject the true nature of, of, of Christ and of salvation and of the Word of God, they are not friends of, 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 of God. They are enemies of God. He says that these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. And yet they bear the name Christian. And that's why we have to examine the things that people say. Examine what they stand for. What... What ideas are they propagating here and are they in line with the Scripture? Test the spirits. Remember that? So what are we talking about? Well, there's a number of things in our own day in which if you disagree with, mainline denominations are in agreement with many of the moral judgments of the world today, in line with the culture of today, and if you oppose that, then they call you all kinds of things. Bigots, homophobes, on and on and on you can go. And these are the ones that claim to represent God. Much of the opposition comes from those that claim to know Him. My God is a God of love. Your God is a God of hate. All you do is hate. All you people ever do is hate. And that's to be expected because when you're telling the truth, truth, by definition, is going to discriminate against error. It's going to happen. And what does that promote within the opposition? A greater anger or bitterness or whatever. It always comes back to this. On what foundation are they saying something? Are they declaring something? So when it comes to many of the liberal churches today, they say that scriptures contain truth but are not truth. They like to pick and choose certain things that they will agree with, certain things that they won't agree with. They don't even know why they're picking and choosing, but they do. Things that are in line with their ideas, things that are not in line with their ideas, they relegate to some cultural thing in the time of the scripture. One of the foundational truths of the Christian faith is that the scripture is the inspired word of God. It is theonoustos. It is God breathed. That every word 
of the Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by the Spirit of God. Those are the very things that, that, that the church has always stood with, stood upon, is the truth that the Scripture is God's Word. And when you begin to reject that, and you begin to reject the other truths that are contained within Scripture, you begin to misrepresent things, or you begin to reinterpret things. That is not characteristic of a true believer in Christ. And actually, for those that do such things and those that do not actually know the Lord, they are considered to be the world that Jesus was speaking of in chapter 15 that would hate them. Worldly. And yet, at the same time, some may think that they are actually doing the service of the Lord. Being very misguided. But as Jesus says, these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Now that may seem harsh. How is it that we can judge people like that? Now shouldn't we, we shouldn't judge people. I mean, we hear that so often, you know, judge not lest you be judged. But... The very thing that we shouldn't be doing is making the final judgment call on a person's eternity. That's the idea. We don't determine who's going to heaven or hell. We do tell them that unless you believe in the Son of God, unless you believe in Christ, then these are the things that you need to look forward to, which is the wrath of God. But we don't know if God's going to bring that person to faith before they die. We have no idea, so we don't pronounce final judgment. But when it comes to those that profess to be Christians, we absolutely make judgment calls on them because that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do. Don't judge by appearance, but judge righteously, Jesus says. You will know them by their fruits, Jesus says. When you're making a judgment call on someone, where actually if you're coming to someone that is within the church that is committing sin, that you're going to go to them and try to restore them, you're making a judgment call. What they're doing is not in line with what a believer should be doing, and so I'm going to go to them, I'm going to try to restore them to faith or whatever. You're making a judgment call. For those that claim to know Christ and yet reject some of the core tenets of the Christian faith, we make judgment calls. If you say, as many liberal churches do, that you don't believe in the virgin birth, we have a problem. If you don't believe in the physical resurrection of Christ, we have a problem. If you don't believe that Christ Himself is God in the flesh, we have a problem. These are not secondary issues. These are primary issues. These are issues of salvation. If you say that it's permissible to do the very things that God says is not, we have a problem. Jesus did not endure the wrath of His Father to pay for the sins that you can go out and celebrate. He paid for the sins in order that you can repent and turn from them. Not indulge in them. So we do make judgment calls for those that claim to know Christ. We do use the standard of the Scripture in order to make those judgment calls. We don't declare whether or not a person is saved or not just because of certain preferences that we have. We go to the Scripture. Are you rejecting the core truths of the Christian faith? And if you are, you need to go back and examine yourself. You know, Dr. Ron Carlson had said 
so many times. You can have every part of theology right. But if you're wrong on the doctrine of God and the personal work of Jesus Christ, you're wrong enough to lose your soul for an eternity. One of our professors at Graham had told us of a gentleman that was going into a mainline church. He was being ordained to a mainline church. And when it got to this particular portion of the questions, and they said, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? He says, no, actually I do not. And they looked at him and they said, well, let's, let's take a break. And so a number of them pulled him off to the side and said, you absolutely believe in the resurrection of Jesus. He said, no, I really don't. He says, oh, yes, you do. Whenever you think of Jesus and you consider, you know, the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus, you're resurrecting him in your mind. So you absolutely believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And so they went back in. They asked him the question again. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Yes, I do. I absolutely believe in the resurrection of Jesus. These are not characteristics of true children of God. And yet from that particular that particular group is where we receive most of the backlash. Not so much from the atheistic world, but from those that claim to know God. And it's very disheartening. Because it's like, which Bible are you reading? Well, it doesn't matter. We ask that question a lot, but the fact of the matter is, they're reading the same Bible, they just don't believe it. That's the problem. They don't believe it. They make up all kinds of things in order to try to justify the things that they do today. And if you've ever gotten into a debate with any, I mean, you, you of course, know these very things, especially when it comes to the abortion issue or the LGBT stuff. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. And you have to sit and think for a minute. Okay, here's the problem. One, you're denying that He is indeed God in the flesh because everything that was written in the Old Testament that God said in His Word is Jesus speaking because He's part of the Godhead. So everything that was mentioned in the Old Testament concerning that very thing, Jesus absolutely said. Secondly, Jesus didn't have to say anything in his incarnation because he's speaking to the people of Israel, the very ones that have the law already. So it's not as if he has to bring it up again. They already have it. Now, if we say, if we affirm the things that the world is propagating now, let's say with the transgender things, what are the very things that the Christians are doing or supposed Christians are doing when they affirm those things? Yes, I think our God made a mistake whenever he made this particular person. Our God messed up because he, he, he was supposed to have been a she or she was supposed to have been a he. Or when it comes to the abortion issue. Well, women ought to have the right to choose. Ought to have the right to choose to kill an image bearer of God. That's what it is. You're saying... Well, for the Lord who created this life, it's okay to take it. So those very things of, of morality that are being advanced today are in absolute opposition to what we learn in Scripture. Man has value. Man has dignity because they are image bearers of God and should be treated as such. And that goes across the board regardless of what people believe or don't believe, whether or not 
they're part of the LGBT or they're not. They should be treated with dignity and value because they are image bearers of God. But that also goes for the little ones in the womb. They should be treated with dignity and value as well. So when we oppose certain things within the scriptures, there are implications of what we are saying whenever we say the things that they are that are in direct opposition to the very nature of God, to the character of God, and the creative acts of God. And those things are absolutely in line with the enemy. There's nothing godly about them. And when you bring things up, you're just a hater. One of the most loving things that you can ever do, one of the most loving things that you can ever do is to tell people the truth. If you lie to them and you tell them that everything is good and everything is okay, that is the ultimate form of hate. And so, here we are at this particular time in our country's history and we shouldn't be un unexpecting these things. We shouldn't, we shouldn't think of them as, as this is a shock. For unregenerate people do exactly what unregenerate people do, which is sin and advance their own ideas in opposition to God. This is the way that it's always been. Some of the worst persecution that ever happened to the people of God happened by those that claimed to know God. When you go back in history and you think of the forerunners before the Reformation, you think of guys like John Wycliffe or, or John Huss who were persecuted by the church. John Huss giving his life because of, of speaking against indulgences and speaking against the authority of the Pope and all of this stuff. You think of the things of, 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 of like with Martin Luther, or you think of the English reformer Thomas Cranmer. As they're burning him at the stake, you have these Catholic priests that are out here that are, that are preaching a sermon as they're setting this man on fire thinking that they are doing a service to the Lord. He also had five men from the seminary in Switzerland during the time of John Calvin who returned to France after they had graduated from his seminary. As soon as they entered into France, coming from Geneva, they were arrested. And in the months that followed, they corresponded with Calvin. And in March of 1553, here's what they wrote to him. We want you to know that although our body is confined here between four walls, yet our spirit has never been so free and so comforted and has never previously contemplated so fully and so vividly as now the great heavenly riches and treasures and the truth of the promises which God has made to his children so much so that we seem not only to believe and hope in them, but even to see them with our eyes and touch them with our hands. So great and remarkable is the assistance of our God in our bonds and imprisonment. So far indeed are we from wishing to regard our affliction as a curse of God, as the world and the flesh wish to regard it, that we regard it rather as the greatest blessing that has ever come upon us, for in it we are made true children of God, brothers and companions of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and are conformed to His image. By bringing us out before men to be His witnesses and giving us constancy to confess His name 
and maintain the truth of his holy word before those who are unwilling to hear it, indeed who persecuted with their with all their force. To us we say, who were previously afraid to confess it even to a poor ignorant laborer who would have eagerly heard it. They regarded it as a great blessing, their bonds and their chains. That was in March of 1553. On May 16, 1553, they were all burned at the stake as a witness to the truth of God, their commitment to the Word of God in the face of opposition of those who claim to know Him. They regarded even their persecution as a blessing because in it they were able to identify themselves with the Lord and with the sufferings of Christ. Christ was persecuted by His covenant people. And often today we receive that kind of opposition, slander at least, to those who also claim to be the people of God. They do these things because they don't know Him. When they reject the Son, they don't know the Father. But here's what He says. He's bringing all of these things back. What He had said previously. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. He's bringing all that back. He's saying... He's reiterating the very things that he had said. I'm telling you these things again. I'm making known these things to you so that you will know what to expect. You won't be taken, you know, you, you won't be caught off guard. You won't be taken by surprise. And this is, and he's telling them this so that they will know because he's getting ready to depart. Much of the opposition and everything has been aimed at him. But now that he's departing, it's going to be aimed at them, at the people of God. He says when their hour comes, this is the time of their persecuting, the time in which they have opportunity to do so. No doubt that happened in the first century with the Jews persecuting the church, with the Romans persecuting the church under Nero. Domitian into the second century, Decius, Diocletian, on and on you go. The church was persecuted mercilessly. But the people of God were still able to rejoice. They were still able to have peace in their life because they knew to expect it. They knew to expect it. You know, our Lord expresses things to us in the time in which we most need it. He doesn't just give us all the knowledge that we'll ever need. These things are learned throughout time, and it's an amazing thing, and I'm sure that you've experienced it as well, that in your studies or in your devotion time that you come to understand something to a greater extent, and you're like, wow, that is so amazing. I didn't understand that as, as, as I do now. The application of a particular passage of Scripture, wow, I didn't see that. And then a short time later, Whatever that text is referring to or that particular circumstance actually happens and you put into practice the very things that you learned. And it's an amazing thing how the Lord prepares us with that. He opens our eyes to see things as they truly are and then a short time later, 
We're putting those things into practice because whatever it is, is happening. That's how our, our Lord works. He is constantly teaching us and constantly molding us whenever we are, when we're involved in the Scripture. Constantly trying to learn. Constantly trying to seek out knowledge of God. And God applies those things to our hearts in the moments in which we need it the most. In order to prepare us for this particular thing that's going to happen. So that we're not caught off guard. He could have told the disciples this a couple of years prior. But it wasn't necessary. It was necessary now. And what does that do? Sometimes that's a, don't get me wrong, it is a little bit gloomy to think of we're going to be persecuted and we're going to be slandered and we're going to be ostracized and all these sort of things. And, and you think to yourself, is there any good here? Well, there's absolutely good here. Because in the moments in which that happens, what does it do? It brings back to your remembrance, our Lord says this already. Our Lord then showed us within His Word that this was going to happen. And so it does promote within you a joy of knowing that God is the one who is the sovereign controller over it all. He's announced these things to us, and it's actually happening. And so now we are to have confidence in Him to get us through whatever the situation is. It brings an even greater and more intimate relationship with Him. He didn't say everything was going to be good, and then all of a sudden we're experiencing bad. No, He says, these things are going to happen. In this world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world and in the midst of those particular circumstances you have a peace that comes upon you that you shouldn't have by worldly standards you shouldn't have it but you do have it. why do you have it because the spirit of god working in your heart to give you that peace that surpasses all understanding you don't know why you have it you shouldn't have it but the spirit of god is working in you a peace that regardless of the circumstance and even the pain that you're experiencing at the moment, you know everything is in control under the sovereign hand of God. He's working all things after the counsel of His will. He's performing all His good pleasure. And those things bring joy. And then, what happens? You're more dependent upon Him. Your faith is getting stronger in Him and you're being shaped and molded to be what is, what is pleasing in His sight as a result of that. That your faith is being tried, as Peter says. But the outcome of the trial is something to rejoice in. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5 that we, we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. The outcome of the trial is something to rejoice in because God has worked in you throughout this entire thing to, to bring greater character out of you. More faithfulness out of you. So the pain is there, yes. We don't minimize the pain. We don't, don't relegate it to something that is unimportant. But the outcome of the situation will be for your good and will be for the glory of God. But you have to maintain your focus just as all of us do and to... Immerse ourselves in the Word of God so that these things are not unexpected when they happen, but they only promote within us a greater, a greater love for God that He expressed these things to us before it did happen. So there are good things that do come out of trials and tribulations and all of those things. 
good things that come as a result of being even opposed by a worldly system of Christianity. Because you're standing firm on the truth, you're identifying with Christ your Lord in the time of the, the opposition and slander. Your Lord has told you of all these things. And the, one of the great privileges that you have, as difficult as it may be, is to, as one writer said, show the remarkable supernatural power of God in you throughout the time of your trial. You think of the Philippian jailer. I'm sure he had guarded a number of different people in the jail and heard them perhaps, you know, confessing that they're innocent or asking to be let out or any of this stuff. It's very doubtful that he perhaps ever heard two men in there singing. Two men in the jail singing praises to God. What's that about? but it must have been very remarkable hearing them and in the moment in which they are let loose from their bonds and he's getting ready to kill himself. We're all here. Don't do it. And then what happens next? What must I do to be saved? He saw something in them that was very remarkable and the Lord used that through the preaching of the gospel to him to bring him to faith. You have an opportunity to shine the light of your father throughout the time of your difficulties. One gentleman that isn't here today had some very difficult diagnosis and he and his wife were cheerful. They were praying together, relying on the Lord and a nurse came up and said, how is it that you can do that? And he says, because regardless of what happens, I know that, I know that the Lord is in control over it all. And so... Either way, it's going to be okay. And that had a profound effect on her. In the way that you handle your circumstances as well, you can have a profound effect on others, and the Lord may use that in order to bring them to faith. So there are indeed good things, dear friends. But maintain your focus on the Lord. Immerse yourself within the Scripture that you're not caught off guard. And in the time of your suffering and in the time of your pain, don't look down and only focus on the circumstance, but look up and focus yourself on Him who is able to get you through and to shape you and mold you to be all that He desires. That's where we need to be focused. That's where, that's where our hearts need to be. Lord, I don't understand this, but show me how I can glorify You in it. And that's hard. But by the Spirit of God, you certainly can do these things. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, how we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for all that it expresses to us. Thank You that You don't withhold anything from us. That You make known these things in order to keep us from being offended, keep us from stumbling, falling into sin. Thank You for that great act of love that You have done to, to tell us the truth and to give us the ability through the Spirit of God to endure. Thank You for His continued presence with us. Thank You that He perfects all things. He perfects our prayers when we don't know how to pray. He perfects our worship to You 
whenever we are enduring difficult times and we can't focus well. He perfects it all interceding on our behalf. Thank you for his continued presence and his strength that he provides. Oh, Father, we all go through different different things in our lives, some enduring various things even now. But we pray for your strength and we pray for the Spirit of God to guide them to do what is good and pleasing in your sight. Father, we'll never, never fail to praise you and to give you all the honor and all the credit for all that you do in our lives. You be the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen.